ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome to Ignition, a radio show and podcast for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald, and we want to launch your own efforts to explain the Catholic faith and to invite others to live it. Before we get into today's topic, we want to remind you that we love listener feedback. So if you've got questions about today's episode, about anything we discussed today, or if you've got ideas for future episodes, please contact us. Two easiest ways to do so are by email and Twitter. You can email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or you can tweet at us, at sfdiocese, and use the hashtag ignition. My co-host for today is my at least current associate, no, uh, parochial vicar, we discussed a long time ago is the, the, the more technical term, associate pastor, but parochial vicar to be precise, Father Joseph Schulten. Welcome, Father. Thank you. Father, in case anybody has not had the pleasure of listening to an ignition before, hasn't heard of you, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners a little bit? Not at all, Father <clears throat> Joseph Schulten. I'm from Great city of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, best small best city for small business by many lists, best city for young professionals, best city to start a family. Just it's pretty much the best city that we've got. I mean, wow. you don't get a lot better. Tom Hanks recently tweeted that he might be moving to Sioux Falls yeah. because it's so yeah. great. So yeah. you never know. I'm glad to be from here. I'm glad to be back here serving as a priest at St. Lambert Parish and uh, chaplain of O'Gorman Catholic High School as well. I've been a priest for about a, for a year and some months. As of this recording, but That's right. I mean, this is digital, so it could theoretically exist forever. So That's you right. might, but you could be a priest for thousands of years yeah. with somebody. To yeah, they could this. be playing this at your canonization, yeah. Dr. Bergwell. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my wife wishes. Um, <laughs> speaking of my wife, again, my name is Dr. Chris Bergwald. My wife and I have been married, uh, as of this recording, for 19 years. We have five kids. They are all born and raised South Dakotans, unlike their parents, Woo-hoo! who hail from Minnesota and Ohio. Ohio, respectively, you can figure out which one I'm talking about. Um, my role with the diocese is Director of Adult Discipleship and Evangelization, and um, I've been hosting Ignition for, lo, these many, wow, it's been like 10 years, Father, all told. Man. It's a long time. Was, were there even podcasts were there? 10 years ago? <laughs> well, yeah, there was Ignition. <laughs> anyway. We Here's get... Ignition. <clears throat> Telegram what? for the new evangelization. <laughs> So, Father, you and I, for some time now on Ignition, uh, have been talking about a great book called The Case for Jesus by the Catholic Scripture scholar Brant Petrie, Dr. Brant Petrie. Um, It's a great book. Basically, what we're doing is offering sort of a a commentary on it, if you will. But, Father, I think you would wholeheartedly agree with my recommendation to the listeners to go read this book. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's been phenomenal. One of the best books I've read on Scripture. Uh, very accessible as well. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's yeah. It's intended for a popular audience. Yes. So, um, if you have a high school education, you could pretty much handle it. Yep. And if you don't get one, I recommend it. Right. A lot Amen. of opportunities open up once you uh, you got that high school diploma. Amen. So we were partway into chapter eight. Just a minute or two, Father. Could you summarize the book and where we've been so far in in our previous episodes in the series? Sure. So in this book, uh, Brant Petrie's seeking to answer one question. Did Jesus of Nazareth claim to be God? Did the man that lived in first century Palestine, uh, who was put to death by crucifixion under the Romans, did he claim to be divine? Um, 
And he does that in the first section of the book by establishing the, the credibility of the written accounts we have of Jesus, known as the Gospels. He presents the evidence that these are, are early writings uh, by um, eyewitnesses or are based on the, the testimony of eyewitnesses to the events surrounding this man, his life and his death, and, uh, and as they claim, his resurrection. He establishes that they are in the style of ancient biographies and, uh, and present reliable historical information about, uh, about this figure. Right? Uh, and then in the second section, major section of the book, which is what we're in now, he goes through the, the actual content, the actual uh, message. What do these Gospels say about this man? What do the Gospels present about Jesus? And, uh, and how do they do that? Um, and as we'll see, uh, the Gospels are, are narratives, they're biographies. And so um, if they have a claim about Jesus, they're going to say that in a number of different ways, not always necessarily by coming out and just saying, Jesus of Nazareth, second person of the Blessed Trinity, divine. Uh, but through his deeds and through his words, Jesus points to his own identity and, and does so in a way that, um, that draws people in and allows them to discover for themselves who he is. So, and what we're looking at now, and specifically we're sort of unpacking a little bit of, of chapter eight of this book, which is titled Jesus and the Jewish Messiah. And, and in the last episode in this series, we looked at how Jesus, um, we looked at the expectations about what the Messiah would be and um, where he was going to come. So the what was, uh, as you sort of ed- indicated, as, and as Dr. Petrie says, the, there were high expectations, but they were a little bit confused. Depending on who you asked, you might get a different response in terms of, of who the Messiah was going to be, right? Yeah. Or what? Yeah. But it was definitely the case that, that the people of Israel, uh, the Jewish people in the first century, were expecting a figure uh, chosen by God. And that's the, that's the whole point of Messiah meaning anointed one that was a that was a sign of the divine favor and the divine election divine choice that they were expecting a figure chosen by God to to lead them um, and uh, and then there were specific prophecies in the Old Testament which which this which fed this this messianic fervor and, and some of them also pointed to where he would be born. Like exactly. Mike, we looked at Micah uh, chapter five, verse two, which speaks to the Messiah, the, the son of David being born. So the Davidic descendant, son of David, meaning um, a descendant of David, who was the great king, the king par excellence in the history of Israel, right? So he's um, the, the Messiah is going to be David's successor uh, in some capacity based on what you just said. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so the Jewish people at the time of Jesus, first century, are looking forward to a, a new David, you know, one that's going to be great like him, that's going to rule them uh, in the manner of this this most excellent king, King well, David. So I think one thing I want to say, Father, as we get into now, uh, we, we mentioned last time we're going to look at some prophecies about uh, when the Messiah was going to be expected, especially Dr. Petrie draws from the prophetic book of Daniel. Um, but getting into this, I think many times as as Christians, most Christians listening to this will be, okay, Jewish Messiah, I get it, but Old Testament, I focus on the Gospels and so on. And that's what we're talking about here, yes. But there can be a tendency to sort of downplay um, 
or even ignore hmm. the Old Testament right. as Christians. Right. But my, and, and I'm just thinking, I'm not alone here, and there, there are many holy and brilliant people for thousands of years who have been saying, au contraire, don't do that. Absolutely. Jesus is the culmination. He's the final chapter of a plan that God has been unfolding for, for well, millennia upon millennia. So yeah. don't skip the Old Testament and go straight to the Gospels. Absolutely, yeah. The, the Old Testament really... Uh, shows us God's God's dealing with humanity and just the the patient way that He leads us. You know, if your uh, if your goal is to is to educate um, educate a child and you want them to learn algebra, right? Well, you're not going to start with a with a four year old and, and just start dropping equations on them. Right? right. That you, you're going to patiently lead them, and there are certain steps, certain things that they have to understand and in order to be ready for this, you know, this, this more profound, deeper truth of mathematics. Right. And so that's called pedagogy, right? Pedagogy is the, the art of teaching, the right. art of educating. Right. And, uh, and there's an order to things and that's how God deals with, with humanity, right? God wants to be in union with us. He wants to reveal himself to us. There are important truths that he wants to tell us, but he doesn't just, you know, go blam, here they are all at once, right? And Jesus doesn't just drop out of the sky or out of nowhere as God's word, God's revelation to us. Uh, God God has a pedagogy, right? He he educates. He he first calls a a man, which becomes who becomes a a, a clan, a set of tribes. Right, a family that grows into a nation, and and God is educating them all along, leading to the the culmination of his his relation with us, his revelation, which is the person of Jesus of Nazareth, um, whom they're expecting, albeit in a in a confused way, whom they're expecting as as God's anointed one. So if we throw out the Old Testament, uh, we we quickly lose the foundations right. on which uh, the figure of Jesus stands. And by the way. Every time that the the earliest Christians spoke about Jesus and proclaimed Jesus to even to even to pagans, um, they did so katatagrapha, uh, right? According to the writings, according to the scriptures, yeah. right? Their belief in this man was was grounded in the fact that that he fulfilled their hope, he fulfilled their expectation, which came out of the the, the ancient prophets and uh, ends the Torah, the fundamental scriptures of Israel. I'm thinking there when you said katatagrapha, uh, Greek for according to the writings, according to the scriptures, uh, Paul has a great summary of the gospel message in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The church in Corinth was by and large predominantly Gentile. Mm-hmm. And yet he, um, in, in, in telling them, reminding of them, reminding them of, remember what I first handed on to you and how Jesus lived and died. He keeps saying, he keeps saying that phrase, according to the scriptures, yeah. according to the scriptures, exactly. summarizing the gospel content, even though they're Gentiles who you think, what do they care about the Jewish scriptures? Well, it's important for Paul Telling them, it's important for them to understand that Jesus, everything about him is according to the scriptures. Exactly. Exactly. So, so, so uh, Father, where now do you want to go? Yeah, well, we talked about already where we're going to go. The when of, um, of, of the Jewish expectation. Yeah, because yeah, this really, uh, you know, this really gets to the question, why was fervor, excitement, anticipation so high in the first century, right, that, that people could make this this claim about a man and then it just explodes, you know, mm-hmm. it creates a, a really powerful movement. 
why was it at that time in particular? Well, uh, because the prophecies of the Old Testament pointed to this specific time. Mm. And, uh, and there are three of them that we're going to look at in, uh, specifically that come from the book of Daniel, right? Uh, and just as background, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man. Right. And when he does that, he's making a direct reference to the book of Daniel. Okay. And the book of Daniel has this figure who appears one like a son of man, and we'll yep. get into that specifically. So um, this isn't just chosen at random, all right? Just to say that the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, is uh, is something that Jesus is referring to constantly in relation to himself. He often, you know, talks about himself in the third person. You know, the son of, yeah. When the Son of Man comes, yep. and you know, the Son of Man must be handed over to suffer. All of these, he speaks about himself as the Son of Man, and so he, um, it is a reference to his humanity, right? To his, you know, um, the fact that he's he's a man like us, but it also refers to this these prophecies from Daniel about the, the figure of the son of man. I think uh, father, as you're um, looking up the, the passage, I'm struck by that. Um, and I often am. I often like to like to point out to people that in the gospels, you would think, I think for us as 21st century Americans, um, the title son of God would be the divine title. Son of man would be the human title. So Jesus is both God and man. And we would just presume that of those two titles, son of God referred to his divinity, son of man referred to his humanity. But in fact, for the Jewish listener of his time, Actually, the opposite is is paradoxically the case because son of God was a title that was, u- was that was used of the human kings of Israel, among other people. So, son of God was in fact uh, a title used with regard to mere men in Israel's history. So, to say that so and so was the son of God did not automatically mean that oh, therefore they're God. It actually meant that they're an important figure um, chosen by God, but they are just a man, and yet son of man, as we'll see here in Daniel, son of man actually has some uh, subtle but real allusions to divine status. Right. So, right. yeah. If we want to just jump right there, uh, the references to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Okay. So, okay. Uh, With the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. Right? So when Jesus is saying son of man, calling himself the son of man, he's pointing to this prophecy. Right. Let's break it open a little bit. Okay. okay? Um, and then we'll get back to the context of, of where this comes, but, uh, but this is a vision Daniel has, a set of kingdoms, right? Four different kings. And then the fifth king comes. First of all, it says he comes with the clouds of heaven, right? So he's he's shrouded in this aura of divinity, mm. right? This king is not like the other political kings right. that I've been seeing in, in, uh, in my visions, right? He's, Daniel's saying, this one comes, and there's something of the divine about him, Right. And he came to the Ancient of Days. That's a title for God mm-hmm. in Daniel. Ancient of Days. So this this Son of Man figure is, is before the Ancient of Days. And then he receives dominion, glory, kingdom, that all peoples, na- nations, and languages should serve him. So he's given this, this uh, universal reign, mm-hmm. right? He's given 
an authority and an honor that pertains to God Himself. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that in the Scriptures, you know, God is the Lord of all the earth. God created everything. God right. is create, great King over all the earth. The, the Psalms proclaim that. Um, God is is clearly the the one, and the only one who's worthy to be worshipped and adored by all creation. And yet, this King, who appears in Daniel's vision, one like a son of man, all of a sudden he's right up there with God. Mm. All of a sudden he's receiving the the honor and the authority the service that belongs to God alone in the scriptures. And then it says his dominion is an everlasting dominion. Well, no earthly king can, can reign forever, Ever, right? Right. right. Um, there have been a lot of kings in the history of the world, and you know, a lot of kings have died. Right. <laughs> and, and whatever kings and queens are out there right now, they're, I'm sure they're great people, most of them. Are, you know, I'm a fan of Queen Elizabeth. Um, I think she, she helps keep... Uh, Keep Western civilization classy. <laughs> but she's getting up there. Right? She is getting up there. Right. But she's still alive. So she is still I'm alive. I'm just saying. Right. You know, I would say long live the queen, but I guess that would, some people would say that'd make me unpatriotic. Well, yes, it would. I'm proud right, of being it, American it as well. Be. Amen. But um, but anyway, <laughs> been a lot what of does kings. This have to do? Okay. <laughs> kings kick the bucket, right? Yes, they do. And yet this prophecy in Daniel 7 claims that this kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will not pass away. Mm. Right? So there's something everlasting, something uh, something more than any human, merely human king right. uh, can aspire to. Okay. Right? So that for the, the term son of man that Jesus uses. Okay. So now let's go back to where we sort of started going down that rabbit hole, the when of this is why people, why were people expecting the Messiah in what we now call the first century at the time of Jesus? Daniel tells us why, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and to do that, we'll need to look at that larger prophecy that's in Daniel 2. Okay. Uh, Daniel is a book of, it's a prophetic book of visions, right? So Daniel the prophet sees different visions and there there are a lot of figures and you know animals and things going on that stand for different things but if we just enter into the the kind of the, the visionary spirit the liter, the literary style of this this prophecy we can we can start to understand sort of in his context what he's referring to okay. so so daniel He's writing, it's written probably in around the second century BC, scripture scholars tell us. And Daniel actually interprets the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar's dream about a big statue that gets destroyed by a stone. Okay. All right. So I'll, uh, I'll read through and then just comment on, do a little midrash on, uh, on Daniel's, uh, on the book of Daniel. This is from Daniel chapter two. Okay. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image, statue. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its breast and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Okay, so we'll pause there. Okay. We've got this, we've got this statue, Okay made of mixed materials, right? Uh, I'll jump to the interpretation. Daniel says in uh, Daniel 2.36, this was the dream. Now we tell you, now we will tell the king the interpretation. Okay. Okay. 
You, O king, the king of kings, who's speaking to the Babylonian ruler, uh, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell the sons of men, you are the head of gold. Right? So Daniel's saying, in this statue, you, know, you the, the head stands for you. After you shall arise another kingdom inferior to you. So he's kind of flattering, you know, mm-hmm. to the to the king here. You're the great, you're the greatest, you're the you're the best king, you're the head of gold. <laughs> There's gonna be another one after you, another kingdom inferior to you. And then a third kingdom. That's the bronze. You know, you're getting down to the, the bronze belly, which shall rule over all the earth. And then and there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. Uh and the feet, because the feet and toes are partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. Um, all right. So Daniel's giving the interpretation. It says, this is what the statue stands for. Different kingdoms. Okay. We've got that sort of established. Okay. Right. Back up to the vision. What happens to that statue? Daniel, no, nothing good. Nothing good. <laughs> As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand and it struck... The, Im- the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces, right? So so there's this stone that enters in. It's hewn out of a mountain, but it's not hewn by any human hand. Right. And it destroys these this statue. In other words, some force is going to come that destroys, breaks apart these kingdoms. And these kingdoms will be no more, but this stone... Daniel says, will grow to a great mountain, right? And fill the whole earth. And fill the whole earth. Okay. All right. So there's going to be an everlasting kingdom that God is going to establish that breaks apart and outlasts all human kingdoms, all human political authority. Okay. Right? Now, this is important because we can trace the specific kingdoms that Daniel, the book of Daniel has in mind here. Okay. Okay. He gives us the first one, right? He's speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, you're the gold head. That's the first kingdom. Okay. Well, those are the Babylonians and they, they ruled over, uh, over large part of the world, Middle East, and especially Israel in the sixth century BC. Okay. And then there's going to be a next, another kingdom, the silver chest and arms. Well, we know that in the fifth century BC, the Medes, also, the, also known as the Persians, right. the Persian Empire, uh, conquered the Babylonians, right? So that's another kingdom. But then they, in turn, were conquered in the 4th century BC under Alexander, by Alexander the Great, right, who created the first uh, Greek-speaking empire. And okay. so in the 4th century, uh, there, there's the, the third kingdom. And then there's, remember, that fourth kingdom, the, the iron and clay, the legs and the feet, and who conquered the Greeks, right, who conquered Alexander's empire and the kingdoms that came out of that, uh, the Romans. Right. And who do we find ruling Palestine in the first century at the time of Jesus? The Romans. The Romans, exactly. That is why anticipation is so high at the time of Jesus, because there, there have been a prophecy from centuries before saying something's going to happen during the time of that fourth kingdom. So they so they've been tra- tracing sort of we had the Babylonians they were the gold then we had the Medes or the Persians they were the silver then we had the Greeks that was the bronze then the Romans iron and clay mixed right and that's where we're at now so 
It should be any time now. Exactly. Yeah. So this some God is going to do something. That's the that's the bottom line of the prophecy of, of in Daniel two. God is going to do something. Okay. During this during this fourth kingdom, the stone is going to be hewn out of the mountain by no human hand. So not by human, but by divine power. God is going to do something, and He's going to set up something that will never be destroyed, that will grow and fill the whole earth. Why do you think, why does Dr. Petrie spend the time that he does in this chapter on this point then, would you say? Because it has to do with, uh, with Jesus, okay. know, both, both who he presents himself to be, and as we said, the son of man, and what he says he's doing. Okay. What does Jesus come preaching? You know, Jesus goes into, into Galilee preaching the gospel, preaching the gospel, saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom the of, kingdom God, is of God is at hand, ah, right? Right. Right. So think about it. We've got this, these, this prophecy explaining the four different kingdoms, right? We're in the fourth kingdom. All of a sudden, this new figure shows up preaching about the kingdom of God, mm. right? No wonder he electrified people. No wonder people were, were moved and excited at hearing him preach because uh, just at the moment that Daniel said it would happen, it happened. Right? The kingdom of God really did enter into the world in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, son of man. So, Father, we've got about uh, a minute or so left. What, what, what's another? Is there some other key aspect of this chapter, or this idea of Jesus being the Jewish Messiah that, that you'd like our listeners to know, to hear? The, the final prophecy that I, would just, that I just have time to, to point to right now is from Daniel, is, uh, is the prediction about the Son of Man's suffering and death. Jesus says that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Uh, that's in Mark 8, also Luke 9. He says in Mark 14, the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, speaking about his passion. So he's saying the, his, passion, his passion is also predicted. And we find that, uh, we've, we can find that in Daniel Nine. Okay. Right. So Daniel nine gives a, a prophecy about the Messiah being cut off from the people, which is, you know, in other words, uh, punishment, punished by death. Right. An anointed one, he says, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So that's it's a prophecy that's in Daniel nine, okay. predicting first the death <clears throat> of Jesus and then the destruction of Jerusalem. Right. Um, ancient readers from Josephus to Eusebius have taken this to be a prophecy about Jesus' death. And you can trace through the, the, uh, the prediction there and the timing and recognize that, that everything points to the year 33 AD, okay. right? which is in fact when we, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified in the city of Jerusalem. So... Uh, unfortunately, we don't have time to, to dig into the details of that prophecy, but if you'd like to check it out, it's in the book. It's in the book. Right. And yeah, so so Jesus is the fulfillment. He is the Jewish Messiah. All these prophecies pointed to what, when, and to where. Exactly. And that will wrap up this episode of Ignition. Again, email us, ignition at sfcatholic.org, or tweet at us, at sfdiocese, and use the hashtag ignition with any thoughts, questions, or ideas for future episodes. 
And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.